up next on Inside the SECA, recovering from a big one. Welcome to this episode of Inside the SECA. I'm Brian Polanski, and uh, today is an episode uh, that we've been trying to do for a couple of weeks now, actually a couple of months, um, and I'm, I'm really happy to have uh, this young driver on the show with me, uh, especially considering the <laughs> the big wreck he went through back in June, and uh, Henry Tabor is with us. How you doing, Henry? Uh, I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm making it through. Making it through, making it through. So, uh, if you're uh, if you're watching the podcast live, uh, or watching the podcast not live, you'll notice that uh, Henry is wearing a neck brace, and uh, I'm sure that is the. Uh, we're going to get into all of that in just a little bit about uh, why and how and all of the stuff that you've been through here. But let's start with from the beginning. Uh, everybody who knows the show knows how we started. Um, and Henry, the question we always ask is, how did you get mixed up in this crazy sport that we all love? Uh, well, it's a family. It's a family thing for, for us. I'm a third generation racer. Um, it started with my grandfather um, and stage rally. So I come from a, a host of stage rally drivers. Um, it's, it's my grandparents, my dad, uh, my aunt, my uncle. And my sister and myself, we've all competed in Sage Rally, doing it for about 20, 25 years, I think. Wow. Yeah, so it's it's a family thing for us. So um I was the defector. I was I I decided that I wanted to try road racing. Uh back in 2021, I got my hands uh into a spec racer and the rest is history. So yeah, um it's it's quite cool to be a part of such a long lineage. So, so what's your first memory of being either at a racetrack or working on the car with, with someone in the family in the garage? What's your first memories? So I think it goes back to 2012 um, at the Oregon Trail Rally, which um, takes place in Goldendale, Washington, due for Oregon, and starts at, starts at PIR, um, Portland. Uh, and it was Sunday morning. Uh, I was with my mom. Uh, in our park expose before the event, uh, before the third leg starts, and I met Ken Block for the first time. Oh, that's awesome! Um, and that was that's something that I cherish um, for a very long time. Uh, that's something um, that I look back on quite frequently, especially especially what after what happened this year. Uh, I'm so I'm so thankful and lucky to be um, in the rally community and to be with um, and to compete with the Block family and really getting to know them over the years. Um, it's something that I cherish, and that's one of the things that I love most about Rally, uh, and the most I love racing is just that family. They've they've done a lot for us, and it's it's just incredible. So do you know Ken's daughter, who's racing now? I, yes, I do. I Actually, that same day, uh, we were both uh, really young, I think six or seven, I, th I think, um, and... So the the Dufer Oregon is where we service on uh, Sundays of the Oregon Trail Rally, and the service park takes place in a literal city park. Mm -hmm. So, and in the middle of it is a playground. And I don't know how, but I got my dad to let me go over and play on the playground. 
Ken and Leah were were there playing. And so that's kind of one of the things that I, I find really cool is, you know, I got to play with Leah Flock on the playground. So that was that was cool. And it's been really fun uh, watching them grow and and compete. And it's they're just such a great family. Yeah, no, no question. No question. What? Um, so how did you get into the road racing side of things? Because, I mean, anybody in the family involved in that? Or did you just because you're part of the club, you saw what was going on and said, hey, I want to try that. So it goes back quite a long ways. So my dad, Mark, um, knows or knew the the Oregon Region Road Race Director, Kristen Moore, mm-hmm. uh, from when he was the rally director back when SCCA was in Stage Rally. Um, so they had known each other for a very long time, along with Todd Harris. Um, they He's known them for, you know, 20 plus years. Uh, so when I turned 15, I was like, I want to go racing and I want to go road racing. He said, all right, let's go to Pro Drive. Um, so that's kind of how that all started um i don't i don't really know why i wanted to do road racing i think i just really wanted to get my hands on the first thing that i could sure uh, which was um, a road car and so i've been working with pro drive and flat out racing for the past three years and it's been an incredible experience working with all of them um but yeah i just i just wanted to get get my hands on something as soon as i could so do the rules let you road race younger than stage rally? Yes. So okay. as far as I know, uh, you can start SCCA at 15, right. and I think you have to have your driver's license, so 16, 17 to be, to be road racing or uh, rally. Road, road rally. Because sometimes road rally goes on a, on a regular regular road. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense then. Cool. Cool. So um, – you you went with a an arrive and drive team, right? Yes. Uh, as I always tell people, and, and you have a racing background, a family background in racing, so um, I, I would have given given you a bit of a, a reprieve had you gone out and bought yourself a car and, and did it all yourself because um, you had some history in the family. Uh, but I'm always asked by parents of people who are trying to get involved in this sport, whether it be kart racers coming up or whether someone just shows up at the racetrack and finds that it's fun. You know, how do I get my kid involved with this? Um and my first thing I always tell them is rent a car first. Um, don't go out and spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on the car and the tow vehicle and the trailer and all that kind of stuff because you just might find out your kid hates it or yeah. or really isn't good at it. Um, <laughs> and, um, and then you've got all this investment in stuff that is almost never worth as much when you resell it as it is when you first bought it. So, yeah. um, so even with the knowledge that the family had, and maybe that is why the family decided to go – with an arrive and drive program first what, what was the decision making process there so originally we had bought a ford fiesta that was like halfway to becoming a b-spec car okay um but at the last second um i changed my mind and said i want to try a spec racer um so now that that ford fiesta has been repurposed into a bit of a rally cross car okay um and the reason we went with uh, spec racer and doing being a part of their um their team the pro drive team is because we honestly don't don't know a lot about road racing and right. how a lot of it works um you know we're 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 rally racers at heart right so we didn't really know a lot about and we didn't know you know logistics so we kind of figured it would just be easier 
these this is a great team they'll take care of us it just makes it easy easier on us just to work with them so even with the family background you were smart enough to know i don't know a lot about road racing so let's do this with a team that does to get started yes that was that was pretty much our thought process so you're in your starting your senior year in high school which makes you what 17 now or 18 Yes, yeah, so I'm 17. I turned 18 in just over a month. Okay, okay. So you were 15 when you started. So this was your third season, right? Yes. Okay, okay. Um, and and how was that that startup as a 15 year old, um, getting into road racing? What was that first? Did you go through an SECA school? What was your progression? So, um. Regardless of what we did, whether it be spec or spec racer, uh, we went through the pro drive school. Got it. Um, their licensing school. Uh, and then I did the the March date at Portland International, tagged along with it. So I did the school, and then I did the, my first race in a Gen 2 car. Uh, pretty soon after that, um, I was kind of asked to, to go try a Gen 3. Um, I was a little hesitant. I didn't feel like I was ready, but then again... You know, I said, let's do it because, of course, I would. Right. Um, so tried a Gen 3 and we ran the car, the same Gen 3 car through the rest of 2021, through 2022, up through 2023 until June. And that first weekend, that first race, what was that like for you? It was really fun. I, um, I don't remember a lot about it, but I, re- I do remember... Uh, arriving in the paddock for the first time and seeing the car with my name on it. And that was just the coolest thing for me is to finally have my name on a race car. Um, and that's just kind of when it hit me is that I'm that this is what I really want to do. This is what I want to make a career out of. Yeah, there's nothing not cool about having your, your name on this. I mean, I, I just got back from solo nationals and I was actually really surprised that a lot most of the solo people don't put their name on a car. I'm like, I got my name on a car because damn it, I'm proud I got here. You yeah, know? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's. I think that's one of the coolest things, and it still is the coolest thing having having your name on a race car, no matter what car it is, rally car, a, a, a road car. It's just, it's a cool thing. Just never gets old. Yeah, no question, no question at all. All right, so you get through that first season. Did you just pre- predominantly do uh, Portland stuff, or maybe Thunder Hill that first season? Uh, we only did Portland. We did a lot of. Uh, track days, a lot of test days, um, just getting as much seat time as I could with the car just to help progress um, my learning of the and my abilities in the car, which definitely really helped. Um, and I'm really glad that we did that. I think just all of that track time was super crucial to how fast I think I progressed. Sure. And it really helped going into 2022, um, kind of having a better idea when it came to that first race. Right, right. So what did your 2022 season look like? Uh, so when we, we planned it out, we were like, we just want to do Portland, um, maybe the Ridge. Um, and I think our big event of that year was going to Laguna Seca. Um, so we did all of the Portland dates. We did uh, the event out at the Ridge Motorsports Park. And then we did Laguna Seca in July. And I have to say, that is one of the coolest racetracks ever. Yeah. That is just such a beautiful place. I've been to Laguna. I've done it on iRacing. Um, tell me about the corkscrew. It was, it was weird. The first few times going through it, that morning practice session, it just, it just felt super weird, but you're just so focused on making the corners that you almost don't notice 
how violent it is until you kind of get into a rhythm. And then at some point you just feel it and you just feel the entire car bottom out. And it's like, Oh, that's what that feels like. Okay. Yeah. It was just, it was, it's, it lives up to its name. I guess until you do it right, it doesn't feel like the corkscrew, right? Right. Yeah. So, so what did, so what did 2023 season look like? So going into 23, we were like, we want to do the Portland dates. We want to do those again. We want to do, uh, we wanted to, do, I wanted to do Thunder Hill a lot. So we did the the super tour at Thunder Hill in May. Um, we planned on Road America was going to be our big event. It was going to be our, our vacation, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Uh, and then I, I really wanted to do Laguna Seca again. Um, I just felt so comfortable at that at Laguna and just really wanted to go back. But I was really excited for Road America the furthest I've traveled uh, for any racing. Um, So it was really exciting. Um, And it was weird with the repave. It was definitely something that I don't think anybody really expected. It was, it was really interesting. So road America is my, my home track growing up uh, side of my first driver school. Um, and, uh, I have many, many weekends there as a crew member for my dad and, and, uh, I, uh, a special, special place in my heart. I grew up, about, grew up about two hours from road America. So, uh, I absolutely understand why that was your bucket list for this year to get to. Um, so I, I guess this is probably the right time to, uh, kind of transition to, to, um, one of the reasons why you're here, for, I, I want to state that that, that I, I didn't bring Henry on just to talk about a huge wreck. Um, I really do love having young drivers on and talk about their journey to get to road racing. And and I would have had you on regardless of the wreck. Um, so so I will put it out there. I just don't want it to be morose. But uh, but but you're here and uh, and you're wearing a neck brace. Um, and, uh, we had a couple of pretty big, pretty big wrecks at road America. And, uh, you were unfortunately in, in one of them. Um, and, um, you were, um, um, thankfully the only one that was hurt. I guess that's a weird, weird thing to say. Um, uh, other than the bumps and bruises, but, uh, you, uh, you took a pretty, you took a pretty, pretty big, pretty big shunt there. Didn't you? Yeah. Um, it was, it was a pretty big one um started going into the kink uh the car in front of me was spinning by the time it hit the apex my my realistically my only two options were to go straight and try and avoid him or go off and try and avoid him and you know my split second decision was just try and go off hit the grass straighten it out to to get around him uh, because i didn't know where the car was going but as soon as I hit the grass, the car did, you know, just a 180 on me. And so I went into the safer barrier at about 115, give or take. Um, rode along the safer, the safer barrier for, you know, however many yards. And then eventually it uh, the wheels caught and it shot me back across the track. And I was basically stationary in the middle of the track. And then that's when I stopped. That's when I go cold. When you don't um, remember what from that point on. Yeah, that's okay. when that's when it just all went dark. Right. Um, from what I learned from you know video is a car hit me broadsided me like this. Right. Um, and the rest was history pretty much. Yeah. Um, I had no control over the car. Um, my pedal box after the initial hit, my pedal box we think got destroyed. It was 
I could remember pretty vividly that I could feel the brake pedal, all the pedals just kind of moved after the initial impact. Um, and by the time that I kind of realized what was going on, it was over. Uh, there wasn't much I could really do at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So what was, obviously you're wearing a neck brace. What were the extent of your injuries? Because I know they sent you to, I'm guessing the local hospital first in Sheboygan, and then you went to Freighter in Milwaukee, right? Yeah. So we went to the uh, Wisconsin's children, um, okay. the, uh, the children's hospital. Uh, they initially thought that I had some sort, well, they initially diagnosed me with um, th- uh, third degree burns uh, from a my coolant tank exploding behind oh. me because one of the lines got pinched off. Okay. Um, so the coolant tank exploded all over me in my back of my right arm. Uh, and they initially thought that I may have had a brain bleed uh, and some sort of concussion and a C1 um, fracture, uh, my C1 vertebrae. Uh, it turns out I have a basal skull fracture, which isn't any better than a C1 right. fracture. Um uh, no brain bleed, no concussion, thankfully. Great. Um, so it was really only those two. Those were the two major things. And then just, you know, the bumps and bruises. I had, I had some pretty good ones all over. Um, so so no leg, leg injuries with the foot box? No. Wow. Uh, no, which is really lucky. And after looking through the car, looking at the seat, it is a it is a miracle, and I don't think anybody quite understands how I don't have a broken pelvis okay. because of how the seat cracked and broke. It there are there are many tears in the in the tub. Um, some of the the body bars, some of the the pieces under the bodywork were inches from where my helmet would have been. Mm-hmm. My headrest bent; it it folded basically. Um, it was lucky that I didn't have a broken jaw. Um, yeah, sh- show us the um, show us the helmet because you you. So this is the helmet that I was wearing, um, fully carbon fiber, and I don't know how easy it is to see, but that there is a crack. Yep, I can see it. And then up here, there's a fainter one. Okay. So this is on the side that uh, I got hit on. Okay. Uh, the side. Uh, this is where the headrest folded, basically. Got it. Okay. Um, so this did its job very well. This complete this kept my jaw intact because that was one of the, my main worries um, was that I had a broken jaw because of how much it hurt. Yeah, uh, I didn't, which was very lucky. But um, yeah, this this did its job. And if there's one thing that I can teach or I can tell any new driver or new racer or new family getting into racing: if you can't afford the top-notch safety gear, you have to wait. If I was wearing anything else. I don't believe that I would have gotten away with no head injury sure. or other than the skull fracture, but right. or the basal skull. Um, if I was wearing something that wasn't this, I'm a hundred percent convinced that I would not have been in as good in quotations shape right. as I was. Right. It would have been a lot worse. So I think, I think Stilo for making such a great helmet, um, this saved my life. And I'm, you know, that it's incredible to, be holding it and that it survived well right. it didn't survive but right it's still here so now you need to um send a copy of a link to this podcast to stilo yes and um and then maybe they'll send you a new helmet <laughs> we, we were actually really lucky we we bought a completely new kit already 
including a new helmet. We got it uh, on sale from a website. Um, full new Sparco kit, brand new helmet. So uh, the worst part about the helmet was that this was basically brand new. This had like three events on it. Right. Um, because my old helmet got too small. Um, so this was a basically a brand new helmet. Uh-huh. And yeah. yeah. So so since the wreck, you've brought you've bought a new kit. Yes, we have full new racing uh, suit, boots, um, gloves, helmet. So- I'm gonna have to get a new Hans device because the Hans also broke. We think that it's fractured. Um, so very expensive, and that's not even counting the car. So so when you get done, I'm 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 going off on a tangent now. When you get done with high school, what are you going to go to college for? Or what are you going to do? You plan to go to college? Um, I don't think so. Okay. Um, I'm not very academically inclined. I'm, uh, I'm definitely not, you know, a grade A student. Sure. Um, I've debated doing trade and doing automotive trade. Okay. Um, in all honesty, I was hoping that 2023 would have been a good year for me to kind of keep building my racing resume. Right. To hop into 2024 and start running more national events, start kind of getting out there and yeah. hopefully have, try and have something lined up. Um, but obviously this has kind of stopped that plan. So we're kind of, we're getting over this obstacle and sure. wow, well, we're kind of just going from going from the rebuild. Right. So, so the reason I asked that question was because I, I was going to suggest maybe you should be a television producer because you basically wrote the next question for me by saying you went out and you've bought a whole new kit um <laughs> I, I wasn't going to quite get to this yet but i'm going to i'll ask the question now and then we'll dig deeper into it in a bit um if you bought a new kit that gives me the impression you're going to go racing again um i'm 90 percent sure i am okay um i i really i really think i want to i think that i've got too much left in me to just kind of quit now yeah um there are a lot of uh athletes a lot of racers who have been through incidents and come back stronger um and i'm not done with racing um you know like i said it's a family thing i want to keep doing it because because i just i think that i have more that i can prove and i still want to make a career out of this and i know that there's you probably hear that from every young racer that you meet but um i'm i'm working really hard to try and make this a reality and despite this is in the grand scheme of things just a setback and i'm i want to be back on the track no matter what it is you know i could be racing a lawnmower for all i care uh i want to be back on a track i really want to to drive more cars i want to compete at a national level i really want to get to to a level that you know this can be a job this mm-hmm. is something that i can i can live from and that's that's kind of my goal that's been my goal since 2021 after my first re- race weekend i kind of sat down with myself and said look this is going to be a reality no matter what happens and racing is not fair it never mm-hmm. is it never has been and it never will it will not treat you well um racing will will beat you up it will make you work hard, it will set you back. And that's something that I've been able to understand a lot more since Road America is if you want something, if you want to make this a career, you have to work for it. And you have to look at every setback and put it aside and keep working. Because at some point, at some point, something's bound to happen. 
if you work hard enough. And that's just, that's just kind of what I've been telling myself. It's definitely been a really difficult recovery period, just uh, both emotionally, mentally, and physically. Um, I've lost a lot of physical strength. Um, I'm not where I want to be uh, physically, but also mentally and emotionally. It's been really tough. Um, it's been really hard to 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 find the courage to to come back uh, and to publicly speak about the crash, um, just because of how big it was and how traumatic it was for me, um, and for everybody else involved. And and I'm super glad and I'm super happy that I was the only one injured because I don't want I didn't want I don't want anybody else to get injured in racing. Sure, it's bound to happen and it will happen, but if we can keep injuries to a minimum and you know i'm the only one that gets injured that's fine you know everybody deserves to be safe and everybody should be able to race um and not be impacted like i am so i'm glad that i was the only one um that was injured in that crash and i'm glad that everybody else is still racing uh and i want to uh, i want to rejoin the field and i really I'm really waiting for this neck brace to come off and I'm really waiting for the all clear. I'm just, it's just been really tough and I'm, I'm just getting, I'm just biting, biting my time waiting for, waiting for the all clear. And as soon as I can, I'm going to start working towards my goals again. So that is um, a tremendous amount of maturity out of a 17 year old. Um, listening to you talk about the whole process and your desire to still not completely 100% there on a decision, but the, the, the it feels like you're pointing in that direction. Um, I, I will tell you that in the, in the three plus decades that I've been doing this, um, n- no one who's ever gotten into a race car and been in a wreck would, uh, would fault you if you chose to not come back. And no one questions the desire to come back if that's the decision you would make. There's something weird about how we're programmed, how our brains work, that once you get into this, it is uh, it is it is a legal addiction. Um, Yeah. And uh, and it is something that people just don't understand. I've you know, I've seen people uh, people have come up to me and asked after they've seen someone else's wreck you know um i don't know if you saw the ryan priest wreck a couple of weeks ago at daytona i'm yeah. sitting at work you know I, I work in in a in a radio newsroom and everybody knows i'm a car guy and i do all this so they come up to me afterwards and and they they say to me how does someone get back in a car after that and i'm like i can't just i can't answer that question we just do you know and um uh and at the same time you know if if you choose at some point to say no i'm i'm done that's cool too you know um, at least you're around to make that decision, which is, you know, I'm sure your family is grateful for. Um, yes. so, so you said you were wearing a Hans device. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, one of the things, the, the things that Hans device is made to do is to prevent basal skull fractures. Um, I'm assuming that I'm guessing, assuming, guessing that because you had it on, it probably made the basal skull fracture less severe (laughs) no no Um, okay i think what it did was save my life i think that the it was i have a stage three basal skull so a stage three stable basal skull fracture which is basically the worst type that's one step away from lack of better words internal decapitation sure sure 
So, but if I wasn't wearing a Hans device, I do believe that it would have been that extra step. And I think that it did 100% save my life. Right. Uh, I think all of the safety gear that I was wearing did its job. It was it, it was sacrificed. Uh, you know, I can't use any of it anymore. Sure. It was either cut off or fractured or broken or, you know, whatever the case may be. But it that's what it's designed to do. It's designed right. to, to take all the pressure and take the hits right. so that the person wearing it right. is okay. Well, and you were – your biggest shunt was – essentially a almost like a t-bone or a side swipe right yeah so so the hans device and all of the head and neck devices are really designed to prevent your head from f going forward in a mm -hmm. front collision it's not really to the best of my knowledge and i'm not an, a safety engineer so um but the way i understand it, it's really not meant for that side impact um do, the spec racer forge don't have a neck enclosure right we do. Okay. They have we have a, a butler uh kind of halo okay. thing. How so, much back and forth can your head do in the car when you're in there? Side to side. None. None. Okay. There, that probably I mean, also there helps. was there's very little room between my the helmet and the sides of the headrest. Okay. Um like there's enough that I can lean I can lean my head against it okay. through through a corner and be and it's comfortable and Got it's it. fine. Okay. So there is really no play there and um, one of the things that I found really astonishing was how the headrest bent and right. folded. Um, on the left side, it 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 was damaged. Right. Um, which that was one of the things that I found really really incredible was how that should that just shows how much force was was in the impact. Sure. And I don't know exactly you know the g forces. You know, right. I could try and calculate it out, but I'm not. You know, I don't think we'll ever be sure um, what's what's correct or not. But from being basically stationary to getting hit at 65 miles an hour like this, you know, you can do your own assumptions from there. Yeah, no, I'm sure it was uh, it was pretty significant. So um, so I'm guessing the car is a total write off. Yes, it's um, we looked at it. I looked it over with flat out racing um you know it's the the damage is all the way to the driver compartment which is so there's about two feet worth of body and bars uh on either side of the driver right and on the left side it's all the way to to the wall yeah, yeah. um so that's one of the other things that i found so incredible of the crash is some of the deformed of some of the bars how how some of the you know how the floor is completely pinched um how you know just how the damage played out uh that's one of the things that i found super incredible about the crash is just how how bad it is how bad the impact is or the damage is right so i'm like i'm you know you, you're not you're also not a structural engineer um, but the guys who do work on the cars, do, do you think that kind of crushing of this and that is was kind of designed into the car so that the car would bend and, and you would as little as possible? Yeah, I think so. And I think that's that's what it's meant to right. do. And I'm glad that it did that. Um, I'm more just it's just incredible to sure. look at how much damage there was and how 
how it all played out. Um, just just looking at it, just going back through it, it, it is incredible just seeing how everything deformed and ultimately how everything played out. That's that's why I'm still here. Right. So regardless of what failed, what didn't, you know, something had to work because I'm still here. Right. Right. So everybody processes stuff like this differently. Um, I, I think that there are probably some people who would choose to not go back and look at the car afterwards. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing there are people that would choose to not go back and look at the video afterwards. You've you've chosen to do both. Um, how, is that part of your process to get yourself to help you decide whether or not you w- want to go back and do this again? I think it helps me to go back through the video and to look at the car because I don't remember the crash. Right. There's a there's a pretty solid point that through all the video that I can pinpoint this is when I you know, I, I have no recollection after this point. So it helps me kind of piece together how the crash played out and what happened. It helps my family to know what happened, period, because they were on the other side of the track. They were in turn five. Um, so it helps me to, to learn what happened because I look at it as an outsider. Right. I, you know, I don't know that it's me until until you know you see the number you see the name on the side right um in terms of looking at the car i find i found all of that really interesting um going through it looking at it and despite the damage a lot of the car is savable uh, like the engine and the transmission sure. which are the two main you know the biggest parts of that car are savable which is good because it is uh, a SATEF transmission right so uh it's been tested it's it's good to go so which is really good that's that's one of the things that are that influenced my our decision because there is a big part of it about uh the budget the yeah. money uh obviously this wasn't our car so there's kind of that you know usually it's a you break it you buy it right uh situation um we're lucky enough that we we found another car uh local we've purchased it um, so a lot of the parts off of the car that I was driving are going into that car, which has helped um, our costs down significantly. Sure, sure. Um, so even if I was racing, going back racing or not, we'd still have to replace the car. Exactly. Yeah. So and, and that's the that's the harsh reality of motorsports. You know. Yeah. Whether it's if you owned the car and you weren't going to race again, you could just write it off and sell the parts that you had, could salvage and be done. Um, mm-hmm. But when you're working on an arrive and drive type program where you're basically renting the car, um, um, most places have a is there a fixed dollar figure that you have to pay if you write the thing off? Or do they give you a dollar before you go in? Um, I don't exactly know yeah. with ProDrive, but um, it's usually from what I can understand, it would usually be uh, whatever whatever isn't savable off the car. Yeah. And whatever has to be replaced is what you pay. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad that you're able to work through that budget problem. You know, that's, uh, that's something that's important if you want to go back racing again. So, um, Mm -hmm. um, that's, that helps a lot. So let's take me back to accidents done. Uh, The other thing I think it's important to remind yourself is this, you didn't make a mistake to cause the accident. You know, you were caught up in someone else's junk. And, mm-hmm. and that kind of, in my mind, if it were me, that would make me feel a little bit better getting back into the race car. You know, if all of this had happened because I had done something wrong, 
that would make me question myself a whole lot more. Um, I'd probably still get back in the car and do it, but um, that should help you process it a little easier, right? Yeah, it's it's definitely been it's been kind of it's been good to know. Uh, I've gotten the blessing from many people involved in the crash, um, including the driver that he didn't really start the crash. It was just unfortunate circumstances. He had damage. Uh, so going into the kink, his right rear was towed out. Got it. Um, and so as soon as, you know, it was over before he got to the corner. Right. But so, it, it's always better when either the car breaks, you know, and that really isn't your fault. Or you know, sometimes we just make a mistake. You know, we 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 lose the car for no good reason. And, and that would be, in my mind, if it were me, a little harder to process than the car broke or I got caught up in someone else's stuff. Um so maybe that's just the way my brain works. Yeah, I, d- I definitely agree. And I don't place blame on the driver right. who who was the first car that started the crash. Um, I don't place blame on anybody in the crash because the King at Road America is just such a unique corner. Yeah. It's a fast corner and it's a blind corner. Yep. Um, and with the repave, it the entire track was just so much faster. Yeah. Um, that even the most experienced drivers that I had talked to had to unlearn and relearn what they would do, what mm. they had to do around the or around sure. the course. So there isn't anybody that I that I that I put blame on sure. for the crash. I think that it's just that's just a racing. It's just racing. Sometimes yeah. it's just a really bad racing incident. Um, things happen. Things break. Things go wrong. Um, there's not much that you can do do about it. You know, you can't just stop your car on the side of the track and go out and do a check, you know, yeah. check it out, make sure everything's good. Yeah. Um, so I don't blame anybody. I don't have a grudge against anybody, sure. um, which I think has made part of the healing process really good because, um, you know, I don't have anybody that I'm, you know, I'm having it out for or whatever. Sure, sure. Um, there's just, it's just been a long process. And, and I think that that's both good and bad. Uh, I think it's good because... You can't pinpoint anybody who who started it. You can't you can't point a finger. But at the same time, it's like it really sucks because there's nothing you can do about it. Right, right. So, so let's go back. The accident happens um, at some point in time. You don't remember the actual crash. Mm-hmm. What 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 is your first recollection afterwards? So, I had a few. Um, I think dreams, uh, nightmares, whatever you want to call it. Sure. Um, before I actually woke woke up or started remembering. Okay. Um, I thought that I was at the end of the straightaway and I was in Canada Corner, uh, and I was just getting stared at by safety workers. Everybody was just you know wise eyed, you know sure. eyes wide open, just staring at me. Um, which we can confirm didn't happen because <laughs> we didn't make it that far. Right. Right. Down the course. Um. I woke up and when I when I started actually like in the real world again, I woke up, I was in the back of an ambulance. Okay. I was getting administered uh fentanyl. And the first thing I thought of was fentanyl is dangerous. Why am I having fentanyl? <laughs> that was that was the first thing and I didn't say it out loud, but I, I that was the first thing. I'm like, who's giving me fentanyl and why am I here? Yeah. That was my first thing. And then that's when my arm started to hurt, started to burn because of the the burns yeah. on my arm and one of the nurses in the ambulance um was pouring cold water on it and that was just such a relief yeah because uh, i didn't know what was going on all i knew is that cold water felt good yeah 
Um, then that's when they started cutting everything off because they didn't know what type of burn it was. Sure. Um, they thought it may have been battery acid. They thought it may have been, you know, oil or something. Right. Um, so they didn't know. So they cut everything off. Uh, I was just, I was just in so much pain. Um, and so, and another thing is that I didn't know where my dad was. I didn't know where anybody was. I was in the back of an ambulance with no recollection of what had just happened. Right. Uh, I didn't know where anybody was. Um, I didn't know what was going on. I was just kind of, I just felt like I was put into a situation that I didn't put myself into or that I just, I I don't know. And which was, that was kind of the hardest part uh, initially was I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know who, who the people were. Uh, I didn't know where I was. All I had known is that something had happened, you know, moments before, and now I'm in an ambulance. Yeah. And at that point, you probably have no idea what, and cause, cause the EMTs don't know either really what the extent of your injuries are. Right. So, um, you know, that's scary for anybody, uh, yeah. in that situation. So, and so in the crash, six of the eight drivers involved went to infield medical, or I should say five, cause I was the sixth. They had originally, uh, infield medical originally thought that I was getting brought there, but they made the decision to just haul me off property immediately. Right. Um, so when my dad arrived at the infield medical, um, he was like, well, where's my kid? Right. Um, and they were like, well, we don't know. So after a lot of calls, what had happened was they had lost where I was going. They didn't know what ambulance they put me in. Right. So all they knew is that there was an ambulance going off property. They didn't know which one it was. They didn't know what was going on. So eventually the medical director of Red America pulled my dad into, I think he said like a storage closet and said, as a HIPAA laws, I can't say this over the radio, right. but blah, blah, blah. You know, this is what's going on. Sure. Um, so obviously I didn't know that. I had no clue. I was in the back of an ambulance, um, but I can, you know, my dad definitely, definitely said that that was probably, that was a really stressful point. Sure. Um, but uh, I got to the local Sheboygan hospital pretty immediately. They said, we can't care for him. We can't do much you know, he's in too critical of a state or right. I'm in too critical of a state. So after maybe less than an hour there, they had drove me down to, uh, to, um, Milwaukee. So you didn't get a free helicopter ride out of this. They were really close to, okay. they really, they were, they I were debating on if it, I needed but... to be life flooded or yeah. not. Uh, I didn't, um, they went lights and sirens all the way down. Um, so, which is, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, so for those folks who aren't, familiar with the geography Sheboygan to Milwaukee with lights and sirens is probably a good hour and 15 20 minutes I'm guessing I think we did it in 45 minutes wow. and the ambulance pinned um my dad in the rental suburban um, <laughs> did it in even less going about 115 down the freeway trying yeah. to catch the ambulance um so that's a fun story that my dad tells um and I love telling that story too uh, he was just trying to catch the ambulance and he was following a Jeep that was going faster than him. That's so odd. he's going 115. A random Jeep? Jeep's going faster. W- w- was the Jeep part of your entourage or was it just a no, random Jeep? Just just a just a random, right? Well, welcome to Wisconsin, people. <laughs> welcome to Wisconsin. Yeah, that's that's all I can gather from that. Wow. Um, but I had a great conversation with the EMT and the ambulance on the way to Milwaukee. Okay. Um, I was you know, on, on a lot of, stuff. of drugs. So yep. that probably influenced that conversation. Uh, 
it ended with, I tried to shake her hand. So I just put my hand out like this and I said, hi, I'm Henry. What's your name? Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. so I made a friend, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then how long were you in, in children's hospital in Milwaukee? I was there for six days. Okay. Yeah. That's what I, I thought um, I remembered something like that. The first two days didn't eat anything. Couldn't have anything because they were trying to, to diagnose and properly diagnose the, the injury. Right. Um, I had had two surgeries to clean the, uh, the burns. Right. Um, yeah. So that was, that was a really, uh, difficult time that was just, you're just so helpless. Yeah. You know, I couldn't move. Uh, I was, I was, you know, it, it just sucked. Yeah. Um, but my dad was there, my sister was there and, um, my really close friend who lives in Pennsylvania um, who had come down and surprised us uh, at Road America. He was there too. Um, and they all did a really good job at, you know, keeping me sane, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Um, so shout out to them. Um, it was such a weird time as you could probably imagine. Oh yeah. Um, spending that long in a hospital. Um and still not knowing what had happened, there was just this chunk of yeah. time that I had no recollection for, which was the weirdest part. Just I just didn't know what had happened. Right. So, did you need any uh, surgeries on the 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 basal skull fracture? No, and that was that was the one of the deciding parts of when I got out was they there was a lot of arguing between all of the different parts of the the uh, hospital deciding if it was stable or not. Uh, eventually they came to the conclusion that it was stable and that I was good to go. Yep. Um, so that was lucky. That was really lucky. Um, ever since we've just been, you know, in a neck race. Yeah. And was it a, uh, a plane flight home or, or, or did you take we, a car? We flew home, okay. which that was probably the worst flight I've ever had. Sure. Not because I was in a ton of pain and um, I was, you know, on a bunch of drugs but also it was just such a turbulent flight we had gotten out just before a massive um <laughs> a storm had hit the area right. it hit chicago so we had narrowly avoided it by like minutes so we flew through some of that turbulence so that was not great that had to have been uncomfortable yeah it was it, it definitely is not one of my favorite flights i've yeah. ever taken that's why i had thought maybe they would wanted you to, to go drive cross country just because you would avoid that potential problem yeah, uh, I think that may have been in consideration, but uh, at the same time, there was just they really wanted me to get home. Right. So they just loaded me up with what I needed, and did, so did you end up going right to another hospital? You, you're in the Portland area, right? Yes. So um, we didn't go to the to another hospital. We got discharged from Children's or uh, Wisconsin Children's. Uh, we drove straight to Chicago, Illinois, or to Chicago and Chicago O'Hare. Uh, we flew home and immediately we went home. Got it. Okay. Um, and so, then I think a week later we had a um, we met with the burn care. Right. Um, they were really surprised with how well things were progressing when it came to the burns. That's great. So I discharged from that within two visits. Um, and so it's just it's really just been managing the the neck brace and. And wanting to get back into a race car. That's been my last three months. Sure, sure. Um, 
I um I'm just so impressed with your um how how you've you know handled going through this. Um it's uh not something that uh there's 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 different ways to process and go through something like this. Um it, it really feels like uh family, a positive attitude um has really served you well through all of this. I I, I don't know if it was a sister or a mom or something who was doing some Facebook posts and, and uh, checked in with them first to see how you were doing. And then when I saw you were home, uh, I think we reached out pretty week or two or three later just to say hi and let you know that we were all thinking about you. Um, and, um, and then we started talking about doing a podcast. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, your outcome, I think, has a lot to do with the attitude and the family support system around you. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, the my dad was controlling the the race team page for a while um and he was doing daily updates sure. um for while i was still in the hospital about up to where i got home um and we were just it was so overwhelming with the amount of support right. i was getting i had uh, my phone was turned off i hadn't seen my phone until once we had left um and i had gotten and once i turned it on it was you know hundreds of messages from people and and i and this is one of the reasons that I really wanted to come on was to just publicly thank everybody that reached out that said that that gave us support. Um, it it means a lot to me, um, especially just to a to a young just to a young kid who mm-hmm. who wants to go racing as a career. Um, and going through that, it's just the amount of people that reached out. It it really makes me feel loved, and um, it it helped the first few weeks back home. Um, getting you know just progressing with healing and feeling better and it's really helped through the summer months um when things were uh kind of lonely uh obviously i didn't really get out very much i was really focused on healing i was really focused on being um you know being getting back to as strong as i could right um during that time so the people that stopped by the house the people that sent messages the people that sent videos Everybody who reached out, I, I just say thank you. Um, I don't think I could say thank you enough. And to this point, it's lost its meaning a little bit. But thank you to everybody. Um, it's helped. Um, and some of the people that have reached out, I, I was really surprised by. There were some really cool people that reached out that I was kind of not expecting. Um, so at the end of the day, it was the outpour was incredible. Um, like I said, a little overwhelming responding sure. to everybody and... Uh, I kind of got tired of social media for a while, <laughs> um, but this has just been such a great opportunity to come on and and to and to say um, thank you to everybody. And you know, it's not the last you've seen of me. I'll, I'll be back. Yeah. My last question: um, You come from a third generation racing family, so I pr- I'm I'm pretty sure I know the answer. But um, family, when you tell them you want to come back, um, what? Uh, what what is what is the thought process for the family? Um, they left the decision in my hands. They said, you know, they we we never really formally talked about it, I guess, but it's kind of always been understood that it would be my decision, and nobody would blame me if I said no. I'm not going back racing. I've heard that from some of the, yep. the you know some of the greatest people that I know. Um, I've heard that from you know. I've heard that I've cheated death at Red America, and there's not many people who can say that. So I've got to get a bumper sticker. 
Um, but at the end of the day, um, it's been my decision and, you know, having all the time to think about it. Um, I want to get back racing. Um, I, I want to, to, to prove that I still have it. Um, I mean, we bought, we bought a car. We, we have, we have all the gear. Uh, in fact, we actually have some dates set for some private testing. Nice. In the, in the near future. Um, so I'm going to be back. Um, it was, it's hard. It's been hard. It's been emotionally a roller coaster. I've not looked the greatest. Um, I'm about three months without a haircut. So my hair is pretty long. <laughs> um, um, but I, I just, I'm going to be back. Yeah. I, that's, that's the last thing, you know, I've been, I've been given the opportunity to make this decision on my own and not be influenced by any other figures, which yeah. has been probably the greatest thing. It's been the greatest blessing. Um, but I think, I think that I, I will, I, I will, I will be back into a car. Nice. Nice. Um, when does the brace come off? So we have x-rays uh, a week from today. We okay. have x-rays when we finally get to take this off because uh, to, to x-ray the bone that is in question, you have to like open your mouth and move your neck. Right. I can't do that very well right now. So um, that's so we're waiting for that. Um, it'll be a I've been told that it'll be a really weird transition. Uh, I'm probably going to go to a soft collar for a while just because okay. of the loss of neck muscles. Sure, sure. Um so I'm not completely out of the woods yet. Um, I still need to cleared by the neuro, uh, need to be cleared by the neurologist. But you know we're getting to the end of this journey, and you know a lot of people say it's a journey, not the destination. For me, it's the destination. Well, I, yeah. I, I was just gonna say, not to get philosophical on you. <laughs> um, I don't think you're getting to the end of the journey. I think your journey is just beginning. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I agree. There's a, there's a lot more that we're going to see out of Henry Tabor, um, whether it's on the track or off the track. Um, I'm I'm very looking forward to watching what happens next, and um, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to um, sit down today uh, on uh, and and finally get a chance to to do this. Um, and uh, the story is really remarkable. I think uh, it's uh, it's a testament to safety gear and car design and your will to to push through and and get it all there and your family support and there's just so many spokes to this wheel um, that uh, they all they all aligned as perfectly as possible considering what the what the first moments were um, and uh, I'm just uh, I'm I'm looking forward to see what the next 10, 15 chapters for Henry Tabor are. Thank you. Yeah. Um, 2023 has been a crazy, crazy chapter. Um, it was going really well until it didn't, but you know, sometimes, you know, the greatest racers need to take, take some time away from the racetrack and, and no matter what the reason is, but, um, I think at the end of the day, this is good. Um, it's given me time to reflect given me time to to regroup um it's going to be hard the first time back in a race car but i'm looking forward to it and at this point the sky's the limit you know i'm just i'm i'm, I'm thankful to be here i'm thankful to be alive i have a new kind of outlook on life after seeing how close it can be 
Um, there's there's always a chance that you watch your favorite racer step into the race car for the last time. Um, I just never thought that it would be me yeah. stepping into the race car for the for the last time. So I kind of have this new outlook on how how I want my career to go. I think I've I've lived all of it, how it can go, the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Um, but at the end of the day, this is this is only the beginning, like you said. So uh, I'm not done. I I will be back. Nice. That's that's about all I can say. Right. All right. So at this point in time, I'm gonna I'm gonna say thank you, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this one up, and we're gonna keep in touch as we go forward, and I'll I'll update people as we go, and at some point in time, I'm sure we'll have you back on the show and and talk about a lot more racing stuff. So. Uh, we will do that. I also want to take an opportunity real quick uh, to thank all of the people that help us do this. Um, Goodyear is our um, presenting sponsor at the runoffs this year. I uh, want to thank them for jumping on board. Racekeeper is the official uh, the official in-car camera system of inside the SCCA. Had a really good time using their stuff here at the uh, at the Solo Nationals. We'll have a lot more from them as well. And uh, if you want to know more about any of those folks, you can just go down and check out our show notes, and uh, all of that information is there. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Inside the SCCA. Uh, if you like what you're hearing or watching, subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network or the Racing Network on YouTube. You can follow us on social media to find out who our next guest is and leave questions on Twitter. It's at RacingWireNet. A new Inside the SCCA comes every Wednesday live at 9 p.m. and then we drop them on Friday mornings at 6 a.m. so you can listen to them on the car to the racetrack. I'm Brian Belansky. Have yourself a fantastic weekend. Stay safe and go play with cars. I'm Dorsey Schrader, and when I'm on my way to Embrace, I'll listen to the SCCA podcast Inside the Short Bus. Inside the SCCA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests and not that of the SCCA.